Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 21. Uh, I know I haven't been able to um, post any episodes lately as uh, consistently, but uh, I've been busy, and also I've been uh, uh, trying to correct a few things on the... uh, this podcast app, things have changed with uh, Anchor. It seems like I'm actually with Spotify now. So, um, hello, hello to everyone. And I noticed um, they've been posting the uh, uh, audience uh, from Spotify onto these. Uh, uh, I guess you can say uh, stats. And I've noticed I have uh, quite a large uh, following on uh, Spotify. So I want to say hello to everyone out there. All right. So um, let's actually start with uh, what we usually do um, during these readings um, with the act of contrition. All right. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have uh, sinned in my thoughts, in my actions, and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to please pray with me and for me to the Lord our God, and as well as for everyone else uh, that's with us, please. Uh, let's pray for everybody, because it's Catholic saints, uh, and as followers of Christ, because that's what makes us saints, is that we follow Christ, we pray for each other, and that's what saints do. So let's pray for each other, all right? Uh, let's uh, pray for Almighty God's mercy and grace, all right? Through um, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Kyrielisyon, this is in Greek. Kyrielisyon, Kyrielisyon, Christelisyon, 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 Kyrielisyon, Kyrielisyon, Kyrielisyon. Amen. May the Lord have mercy on us and bring us all to everlasting life and salvation. Amen. All right. Um, so I want to welcome to er- uh, everyone. Um, actually quite surprised. Uh, I didn't know, um, that things were changing. Uh, so it's actually, uh, good to know it. I had to figure a few things out, uh, with, um, Anchor and Spotify. Uh, now it's actually Spotify. So, uh, hello to everyone. So, um, let's, um, Let's actually catch up with some of the um, some of the stuff we've been um, missing out on lately. Okay, so um, I want to review a few um, a few stuff. What um, for Lent the readings? Okay, so um, there's a thing called typology and. Um, it's a way you can see things in the in the present that was hidden in the past, and in Christ in the New Testament it comes out more clearly. Um, and in a sense, what it does is it makes it more clear what our relationship with God is. What our you know what our relationship with God is. We learn from the people of the past. <clears throat> so I want to do a little bit, um, a little catch up with some of the readings. Um, okay, let's uh, pick out a few and then we'll uh, we'll jump ahead. Okay, all right. So um, let's go to. I'm going to use the Magnificat book because it's really a, it's really a cool missile, and um, it's really helpful. It's been very helpful for this uh, for this lens. Okay, let's go to Tuesday. 
Okay. This is one of the readings I don't think I had a chance to to, um, to post and go over. This is um, Wednesday, actually, first week of Lent. Let's look at that. Okay, this is from um, the word of the Lord uh, came to Jonah from the book of the prophet Jonah, chapter 3, verse 1 to 10. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and set out for the great city of Nineveh and announced to it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah made ready and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's bidding. Now Nineveh was an enormously large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began his journey through the city and had gone but a single day's walk, announcing, Forty days more and Nineveh will, shall be destroyed. When the people of Nineveh believed God, they proclaimed a fast, and, and all of them, great and small, put on sackcloth. <clears throat> and when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in the ashes. Then he had this proclaimed throughout Nineveh by decree of the king and his, and his nobles. Neither man nor beast, neither cattle nor sheep shall taste anything. They shall not eat, nor shall they drink water. Man and beast shall be covered with sackcloth and, and call, call loudly to God. Every man shall turn from his evil way and from the violence he has in hand. Who knows? God may relent and forgive and withhold his blazing wrath so that they shall not perish. When God saw by their actions how they turned from their evil way, he repented of the evil that he had threatened to do to them. He did not ca uh, carry it out. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. So uh, let's let's look at this. Uh, the best thing to do is we're going to go to the gospel after this. All right. And then we'll uh, we'll try to compare it. We'll try to see what we will uh, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. Now, during Lent, of course, you're going to hear a lot of uh, uh, Psalm 51 or other Psalms about uh, contrite and contrition and about repentance, because that's what Lent is all about. And I mean, it's true throughout the whole year. But right before the Easter celebration, technically, really, um, the correct name for in English, we say Easter for some reason. Uh, it made its way right from the uh, the German into the English, uh, austere. And it's a pagan term, but it really should be Passover because that's what it is. This is the Passover of the Christ. All right. When, you know, Christ himself, who is our Passover lamb. Uh, and, you know, you'll hear a lot like in Italian, uh, Portuguese, French, um, you know, uh, French and, you know, and, and, Sp and, and, and Spanish, uh, Pasqua, Pasqua, which means, which is Passover. And this is what it, that's, you know, truly this is what it is. We should be, I mean, I don't know why we still call it Easter, but I much prefer, prefer uh, Passover because that's what it is. You know, uh, we Christ himself, think about it. Carrying his cross, going through Jerusalem, he was passing everyone over, taking everyone's sins with him. So that's what we're preparing for, the Passover, the Passover of the Lamb of God, the Passover of our Christ. He passed over us and took our sins. <clears throat> so I'll... Um, I'll go over uh, Psalm 51. You're going to hear it several times, okay? The, the, the response is, A heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. 
Have mercy on me, O God, in your goodness, in the greatness of your compassion. Wipe out my offense. Thoroughly wash me from my guilt and of my sin. Cleanse me. Okay? One more time. Have mercy on me, O God, in your goodness, in the greatness of your compassion. Wipe out my offense. Thoroughly wash me from my guilt and of my sin. Cleanse me. A clean heart create for me, O God. A steadfast spirit renew within me. Okay. Cast me not, uh, cast me not from your presence, and your Holy Spirit take not from me. A, a contrite and humble heart, O God, you will not spurn. For you are not pleased with sacrifices. Should I offer a burnt, a burnt offering, you would not accept it. My sacrifice, O God, is a contrite spirit, a heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. A heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. So, you see, right there, even in the past, even in the past, before the coming of Jesus, in the days of David, uh, David actually, they still haven't built the temple, but they had the portable tabernacle. A lot of people um, may have just, you know, preferred, even in David's day, keeping a very superficial relationship with God. And, and it's actually still like that today. Whether you're a Catholic or a Protestant or a Greek Orthodox or a Russian Orthodox or, or you know, uh, you know, some people would rather keep their relationship with God at a superficial level. Some people may may prefer not to have such a, a deep, close relationship because a lot of people, you know, it doesn't matter whether Catholic or or Protestant or Orthodox, um, then they're not capable of understanding the intimate relationship. Maybe they're afraid of that intimate relationship. You know, some people rather have just like a, a superficial relationship. I do this, God is satisfied. Okay, he doesn't get into my life any more than that. It, and a lot of times, it mostly is psychological. Because most people just don't want to give up their sin. They don't want God meddling in their freedom. They don't want God meddling in their freedom to practice sin. Maybe they just don't want to admit it is sin. But in reality, let's face it, it's sin. You don't want to give up your life of sin. Okay? I mean, and, and, and also, it affects people, maybe the interpretation. Even people who are like very liberal, and let's say, I was looking at a podcast with... Uh, this young man uh, uh, calls himself a, a gay theologian, and he was debating with James White, a, a Protestant, a Calvinist. He has a very Calvin, Calvinist theology. And I couldn't even believe what, what I was hearing. I mean, never mind James White. I know James White's um, you know, Calvinist theology, but I couldn't believe he denied that Isaiah 53 had anything to do with Christ. I, if you're familiar, Isaiah 53 uh, is quite clear that the suffering servant, the suffering servant who's bearing our sins and our transgressions, why would he deny that? Because if you admit it is about the suffering servant taking away our sins, and our transgressions. You have to admit you are committing sin, that you are transgressing. So it's psychological. So of course he would deny that. Every one of us would deny it. If you read that passage, who else does it fit? Who else fits that description? There is no other person in history that can fit this description. You cannot deny it. But in a case when you are embracing your sinfulness, and it's not just him because he's a homosexual. 
It's everybody. Heck, even the even a pimp would deny it. Doesn't matter. A great heterosexual sinner, whether you're a homosexual sinner or whatever, or an atheist. I mean, I was listening to an atheist the other day, and nothing would convince him that God exists. He'd rather believe in aliens than believe in God, that God existed. It's psychological. Sin affects the way you think and the way you live your life. Look at Hitler. To him, Jesus was not the son of God, but the illegitimate son of a Roman soldier. Sin affects the way you think. And some people just will not change the way they think because they want the right to keep committing their sin and they won't even call it sin. It comes to a point where I think I respect you a lot better if you just admit that you don't believe you're sinning or you just simply admit you're not going to stop sinning. Simple as that. All right, let's uh, move on from here, finally to the gospel. All right, we're going to go through several of them because I want to, you know, I want to catch up as much as possible. All right, so... Now we're going to get to here, uh, reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 11, 29 to 32. While still more people gathered in the crowd, Jesus said to them, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. At the judgment, the Queen of the South will rise with the men of this generation, and she will condemn them because she came from the the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And there is something greater than Solomon here. At the judgment, the men of Nineveh will rise with this generation and condemn it, because at the preaching of Jonah, they repented, and there is something greater than Jonah here, the gospel of the Lord. So, <laughs> that's that. That's pretty much uh, an interesting uh, language that Jesus is using. I mean, think about it. You know, I've heard today they're saying that um, because of all the stuff that's happening today with... Uh, you know, with in the schools, with uh, uh, the the transgenderism, the, uh, the 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 changes. I mean, the way the the way the education system seems to be obsessed now with sexuality. Uh, what is going on? Why why is all this happening? I mean, even at work. Uh, you know, now uh, a lot of people, um, I mean, this, why is government, why is the government, why is the school system, why is, there, is this all this, these changes happening? Why in the world is the government getting, uh, getting so obsessed with gender reassignment surgery? Why is, why is this happening? What is it about? This obsession with sexuality, with with, uh, with with sexual identity and sexual changes. Why is everybody believing that? Some people are saying it's it, it, it saves lives. How did we come to this? When I was a kid, nobody was talking about this. All right, I don't remember kids going through this problem. I don't remember any kid going through this problem. At all. The biggest talk was about abuse. Okay? The, the biggest talk was about abuse. Was it mostly all, all about abuse? Or drugs? Or um, not, not having enough food to eat? Or something like that? 
The biggest thing, of course, more bigger was about drugs. Drug abuse was the biggest thing everybody was worried about, you know? And actually, that was the biggest one. Don't do drugs, you know, and stuff like that. But I never heard this discussion when I was in public schools. Right? Never. And this is all of a sudden now has become the biggest topic. Okay, the biggest topic basically now. I've never heard this. So how did all this, how would all the rainbow colors, I didn't see rainbow colors as a kid in the classroom. I didn't see drag queen story time in the classroom. Okay, the biggest thing I dreaded was math class. That was the biggest thing I dreaded. The teach, I hated that teacher for math's class. That was my biggest problem. So how did we come to this and why? How did this become the big, the biggest topic and issue and everybody's talking about it like if it was life and death? Okay. When I was young, the AIDS uh, pandemic the, was the biggest issue. All right, I remember that. That was the biggest issue. That was the biggest thing that was happening all over the media at the time. And because there was a lot of different fears about it. There was a lot of different um, uh, constant, uh, uh, how, how you get it. You get it from sitting down on the toilet or whatever, or, or kissing and stuff like that. And, you know, <clears throat> I used to go, um, we went, you know, we used to live in DeGraw, then we moved from DeGraw to Hoyt. And I remember I used to walk all the way up to 7th Avenue by Park Slope because there was a comic book shop up there that I loved. And I used to walk all the way up to uh, 7th Avenue. And I remember at the time there was this man who uh, was pulling his handcart and, uh, you know, he used to either, you see laundry or he would have groceries. Most of the time it was always laundry. And this guy was so thin. I mean, you could, I think he was probably the first person I saw who, he must have been dying from AIDS. He must have been uh, HIV positive. And every time I would head towards that direction to Park Slope, to the comic book shop in, on 7th Avenue, I would once in a while pass him by and he was getting weaker and weaker and you know it was it was very sad it was a tall white guy and he was becoming so thin and death deathly thin until one day uh until soon I stopped I stopped seeing him uh going through his daily tasks. And I figured, yeah, this guy, you know, must have been, I was, I was only a kid. I was probably 12 or 13 at the time, but it was very sad. And I, you know, and, um, I was only starting to get familiar with, with Christianity at the time, because, you know, we used to sit down and watch things with my mom, but I didn't, you know, at that time, there wasn't uh, all this craziness about gender, transgender, and uh, and um, any of this stuff. It was it was all you know. I mean, they didn't even know the school system didn't know how to handle to communicate about the the AIDS pandemic at the time. But you see, what I'm saying is, how did we get to this? That now you have to have drag queen story time for kids. How did we get to this about having grown men dancing and flaunting themselves? How is that helping them? How is that helping those kids? And that's the question about it. What is it? Is it really about the kids or is it really about the adults? Who is it? Who who is really trying to justify? themselves because I don't believe it's about the kids it's more about the adults it's about them and 
what's going on with them. There's, there, that's where the serious problem is here. Kids just want to be children. At that time, all I wanted to do was collect comic books, read about superheroes. All right, I was I wasn't concerned about any of those things. I just wanted to, to to I was focusing on my comic book co collection, and seeing and seeing action movies or, and stuff like that. Or seeing you know that's all I was concerned about as a kid. I didn't even want to do my homework. I just wanted to focus on these characters because that's that's what made me happy as a kid. I wasn't even thinking about God or or any of those things. So you see, who really is the one? And that's the question you have to ask it. You have to ask the adults. Are they really talking about themselves and their insecurities? And that they have to project it on on people. People, when they have sinfulness, they do that. That's one of the things you read about from the church fathers, about people who are mired in sin, is that they often project their sinfulness, their, their struggle of sin on others to try to justify themselves. It's a psychological thing. If the, you know, to admit that there's problems with yourself, that you have a problem struggling with sin, it's a first step to healing. It's the first step. Looking and admitting to God that you got these problems. It's, you know, if the Queen of the South came across the ends of the earth, as Jesus says, to hear Solomon preaching, that showed you that she understood that there was a way out from herself to God, to one of God's prophets. Okay, if the people of Nineveh were able to understand that they have brought judgment upon themselves and the king of Nineveh was able to, to tell people that they have to repent, that they have to, I mean, to stop eating, to stop drinking and to cover themselves, to cover themselves with sackcloth, with a way to admit that all, the, their, that their entire that their entire work, their daily lives is mired in sin and not to eat or drink was an acknowledgement of their sinfulness that they have to ask the Lord to forgive them. It's to look out of yourself because sinfulness makes you narcissistic. You're constantly obsessed. You're constantly focused on yourself and you're not looking out from yourself. It's about looking at yourself objectively and admitting that you have a problem. Admitting that you are not well. That's what that's why often when you people when they finally begin to mature and realize they got a problem, people look at themselves in the mirror. And what they do is they often look at themselves objectively. Um I've used this before in other podcast episodes. I've heard this from Fulton Sheen, I believe. And I think I think it was Father Rutler. A priest goes to a Park Avenue, Madison Avenue um, cocktail party. And, you know, he's socializing with people. And one of the one of the guests there he socializes with, he finds that it's a psychiatrist or a, a therapist. And he said, well, we both like to help people. And the psychiatrist slash therapist says, um, no, Father, it's not the same. Oh, no, we're the same. We're both in the business of helping people. And the psychiatrist slash therapist said, Father, there's a big difference between us. I don't understand. Why, you know, why, why do you think there's a difference? And he said, I get paid to listen to them, $80 to $200 an hour. And I listen to them blaming every uh, everyone except themselves. They blame their job. They blame their life. They blame their education. They blame their father, their mother, their brother, their sister. 
They blame the whole world. The one thing they don't want to do is admit that they're wrong. They'll never admit that they're wrong. They can't admit that they messed up. When people come to you, they come to you to confess that they've done wrong. They're psychologically aware that they've done wrong. You see, that's that was the whole point of the, the conversation. They, they go to confession. Mia copa, mia copa, me maxima copa, my fault, my fault, my most grievous fault. Okay, the person comes to realization their own words. Oh my God, I am heartily sorry that I have sinned against you for failing to do which, which was right and committing that which was wrong. But above all, that I have sinned against you, you alone, my God. Okay, that right there, they're ready to admit they've done wrong. Of course, today, unfortunately, the confessional has turned into it, has turned into a therapy. Okay, people turn into a therapy session. It's not. You're supposed to confess and admit that you've done wrong. And then go and do your penance. You receive the, you know, absolution and you go and perform an act of penance. You're supposed to do an act, an examination of conscience. That's also a sign of, of a healthy person. You examine the things you have done. You examine the fault. You examine people you hurt. And by hurting other people, you have hurt God. All right? You have a sinned against God because you have sinned against someone who's made in the image and likeness of God. You have to acknowledge that you use that person, that you lie to that person, that you cheated that person, and therefore you have sinned against the image and likeness of God. That's the whole point of confession, of examination of conscience. That's what happened with the people of Nineveh. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Uh, you know, and think about it. Jonah didn't want to go to the people of Nineveh. Jonah himself had a problem. He hated them. Because the people of Nineveh came to the north, the northern kingdom of Israel. And they destroyed the nation. Of course, the nation of Israel itself sinned. They also would, you know, they themselves, everything about society, this is the thing you have to understand. In the Bible, even in, before the days of Jesus, when a society suffers a, uh, a catastrophe, they, the prophets always remind them, you brought this upon yourself. They, first of all, they broke their relationship and trust with Yahweh, with, with Adonai, Yahweh. Elohim, because they fell into a sin. They fell into apostasy. They fell into human sacrifices. Think about that. They started sacrificing their children because they fell into sexual sin and obsession. But in the Bible, okay, all sexual uh, fertility religions always wind up performing a human sacrifice. And the most obvious one in the Middle East, the biggest religion, the biggest practicing religions before, uh, was always fertility religions. Religions that related to uh, the flesh and materialism and crops always, always related with fertility. This is one of the things you'll find out if you read most books, they'll tell you that's, that's always been the most powerful. Ishtar was the goddess of fertility. Baal also dealt with fertility. Okay, uh, Shamas, the sun, is a sun god, always. And then there's always other gods that are related to rain. Because, you know, there's only very little rain in that region, so they always do that. Greeks, the Greeks, mostly their religion, 
yeah, there was some fertility like Aphrodite, but there's also the sky gods. And before that, actually, the earliest forms, actually, uh, the Titans were a little bit more about fertility religion, except when you know that the Titans got overthrown by the Olympians, here comes Zeus and he wars against his father Kronos, okay, another, uh, and what does he do to him actually? Zeus castrates his father and throws his testicles into the universe to create, he creates the universe out of his father's castration. So you, it's kind of funny, but not so funny really, but still that's the whole point of it. And, you know, suddenly Zeus creates a new dynasty and it's the Olympians. It's basically, most likely it was definitely a, a, coup, a, a coup against one dynasty against another. But in the East, the Middle East, it's always fertility religions. And you can see this also among the Egyptians, basically, because the, the, the Nile, the, over, the rising of the water, it floods the land, feeds the land, fertilizes the land. And you see the relation with that. But here comes the Jews. Here comes the Israelites, the Hebrews, most like at the time they were called. And suddenly it changes Something changes. Here comes Yahweh, Adonai Elohim. And he's the God of everything. He's the God who creates everything. And he's the God who creates heaven and earth. Not made out of the body parts of other gods. No. That's, that's not it. And suddenly it changes. And suddenly... This new religion demands no human sacrifice. It does not want you to sacrifice your children. God does not want you to sacrifice and kill your little ones. No, he wants you to, to, to acknowledge him. And suddenly, you know, it's different. Everything's different. Families are different. How the human person looks at themselves is different. That's what I'm saying. It changes. So the Ninevites suddenly change. They suddenly, I mean, why? Why did they change? Because they had Jews living with them, Israelites living with them for, for decades now. And as first they were captive because what happens is suddenly you bring these people, they have different skills, different, they, they add, they add different, uh, skills and education to the, the things, you know, you, they're slaves, they're, they're, you know, they're valuable because they're educated because they can read and write. Maybe some of them had skills that your own people don't have and you want to exploit them. And then after a while, you know, you, you, you give them some perks, you give them some freedoms. You tell them they can, uh, if they do this task, will will reward you. Suddenly they can have their own house of worship. And it just changes. That's basically what happened. When Jonah comes along, he's told, he's preaching to them. How is it that they know about repentance of sin? Maybe there was also intermarriage with Hebrews, with Israelites. That's also, you change the way they think about the human person. The Jews did abandon their religion for a while, but it takes persecution and exile to make, to reconvert, to go back, to abandon the, the idols that they were, they were the, the sinful practices, and they run back to God. It always happens with people. You know, whenever a catastrophe happens to all of us, right? Suddenly we're running back to God. We realize we need God in our lives. And so Jesus, Jesus here is showing, he's telling us to examine yourself. Examine yourself. Look at how other people are repenting and ask yourself, are you, are you aware of the problems in your life, of the sins in your life? All right, let's move on to something else. Let's move on to another reading. Now, here's another 
um, interesting person who found themselves in exile. Um, but she was a child and she was probably born in exile. Esther. So uh, the readings here, because the Catholic version we have, um, we have a, we have the Greek version to Esther, uh, which actually gives you a little bit picture of uh, of other chapters. So uh, bear with me. It's uh, here is C twelve, uh, chapter C, verse 12, 14 to sixteen, twenty three to twenty five. I don't know why the Catholic version has to have these letters, but. It's actually interesting. Okay, let's begin. Queen Esther, seized with mortal anguish, had recourse to the Lord. She lay prostrate upon the ground, together with her handmaids, from morning until evening, and said, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and God of Jacob, blessed are you. Help me, who am alone and have no help, but you. For I am taking my life in my hands. As a child, I used to hear from the books of my forefathers that you, O Lord, always free those who are pleasing to you. Now help me who am alone and have no one but you, O Lord my God. And now come to help, come to help me, an orphan. Put in my mouth persuasive words in the presence of the lion and turn his heart to hatred for our enemy, so, so that he and those who are in league with him may perish. Save us from the hand of our enemies. Turn our mourning into gladness and our sorrow into wholeness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. So let's look at this. The first thing you're going to notice here is that Esther realizes that even though she was living in the palace of the king, actually her that's her Persian name, Esther, I believe. I can't remember what her Hebrew, I haven't read the book in so long, so I'm sorry, but I know enough about it uh, that Esther is not her, her name. It's her Persian name. Uh, the Jews, uh, the Jewish nation, found that their kingdoms were destroyed. First of all, after Solomon, the kingdoms were split into half. It's like what's happening now to America. Um, they're, they, they're, you know, there's so much division. There's so much uh, moral decay that after Solomon, Solomon himself, because Solomon brought in uh, um, a lot of foreign wives and the foreign wives brought in their religion and their their pagan religion wound up contaminating much of the land Solomon allowed he was as as this is a guy who was a son of David and even though he prayed to God God gave him he asked God for wisdom and God you know and to govern the land and Solomon got all this wisdom but he took the wisdom and ran he ditched God see ya and he got what he wanted and what happened was as though he did, he did build the temple. Solomon did build the Jewish temple. He built the temple to Yahweh. And he did build it. And then what happened was something along the way went wrong. It's it's almost like you see this with a lot of uh, liberals. Solomon wanted to be loved by everybody. He wanted to be loved by his pagan wives. He had too many of them. Um, I mean, his father, David, at least realized where his sexual obsession led him. It led him to commit murder for another man's wife. All right. He committed adultery and then he committed murder and they tried to hide the, the pregnancy and then he got caught and, and at least David, David went ahead and admitted he was wrong. Solomon, on the other hand, loved God up to a point but then loved all his materialism even more. And God warned him, if you depart from your relationship with me, I will destroy it all. You see, God doesn't need it. We're the ones that need it. And what happened was he he just kept on making these political marriages. He married uh, these women and and he they came with all their religious beliefs. And one of the things you have to understand, in a pagan society, 
their main purpose is to convert the land, their foreign land that they're going to. That's what happened with King Ahab. Ahab himself married a uh, Jezebel who was a Phoenician woman and she brought her Baal worship, her Ishtar worship to the land of Israel. And she started having missionaries to convert people and part of her Baal worship was child sacrifice. It's an interesting, you see the similarities that happened? Well, anyway, it destroyed everything and everybody was taken away to Babylon. And after they were taken away to Babylon, Persia came, destroyed uh, Babylon, and the Jews during their 70-year exile, part of their punishment, their penance, was finished in Persia. So you see, a lot, they went through a lot. And at that time, maybe Esther might have been a little girl, maybe she wasn't even born, we don't know. But it was during the days of Daniel, the prophet, that this was going on. And so Esther now finds herself a girl who never probably never set foot in her in her in her own land. Now she caught the eye of the king of Persia. And now she also during that time there was uh some Persians, there was a, a man in court, I can't remember his name, but he didn't like the Jews. He had a real hatred for them. And was finding ways to get the king to get rid of them, to get rid of these people. And so that's why she's the king. She calls him the lion. Interesting. This Cyrus, I think his name is, he, a pagan, has been targeted by God as a proto-messiah an early version of a Messiah. He will allow the people to go home and rebuild their temple. Isn't that interesting? Esther has been looked up by Catholics as a type image of the Virgin Mary. So she now finds herself in this political um, drama, you know, and finding herself, you know, in this unbelievable political drama where she could be, it could be life and death for her people. But she, she knows enough that she doesn't have any power. The only power she has is her faith. And so she's praying to God to help her, to help her. She, she has no father. She has no mother. Her parents are gone. She only has an uncle uh, who, you know, who, who, who's raising her up. But she has no other, um, no one else to turn to. So she has to turn to her Lord, to turn to the God of Israel. And this is, this is an example of faith. So let's move on. All right, so now we move into, um, let's look at Psalm 138. Lord, on the day I called for help, you answered me. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all my heart, for you have heard the words of my mouth. In the presence of the angels, I will sing your praise. I will worship at your holy temple and give thanks to your name. Lord, on the day I called for help, you answered me. Because of your kindness and your truth, for you have made great, Great above all things, your name and your promise. When I called, you answered me. You built up strength within me. Lord, on the day I called for help, you answered me. Your right hand saves me. The Lord will complete what he has done for me. Your kindness, O Lord, endures forever. Forsake not the work of your hands. Lord, on the day I called for help, you answered me. All right, so let's move on to the gospel. Everyone who asks receives a reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 12. Jesus said to his disciples, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, 
the door will be opened. Which one of you would hand his son a stone when he asked for, for a loaf of bread or a snake? When he asks for a fish, if you then who are wicked know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good things to those who ask him? Do to others whatever you would have them do to you. This is the law and the prophets, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So that question, he wasn't targeting the last question he asked. He wasn't targeting just to, he wasn't targeting the Gentiles, nor was he just say, pointing out to Jews. He was targeting it to both. If you, I mean, even mean parents, you know, know their children have needs. I mean, we, I don't know if you've ever been in the New York City subway, but sometimes you get these parents that have very short tempers with their kids and their kids, um, you know, maybe just don't know how to, uh, don't have enough self-control and the parent explodes in front of everybody on the, on the train. It could be, I mean, at my job, I've seen that. I've seen that on stores, whatever you want to call it, bookshops, shopping malls, supermarkets. The kid is very you know, excited, wants this, wants that, grabs it, parent yells at them, makes a big scene. And it's, you know, it's kind of sad and embarrassing, you know, seeing that. But point is, Jesus is actually erasing the line between, you know, self-righteous people and or or people who, even a faith, people who have, who have virtues and you know who try to practice self-control, he's just simply saying here that there's no distinction, really. You, God rains, sends the rain and the sunshine, and he he lets things grow, and he help he does it for those who, who are good or bad. You know. But the idea behind it is trust. He wants you to have trust, just like Esther had trust. She, she realized her need. She realized her hopelessness. She realized how powerless she, she is in the situation. And the truth is many of us are when living in this life. Even someone who has money cannot stop death. Even someone who has money cannot stop tragedy from befalling. You can't control the world. You can't control the politics. You can't control uh, even, let's say, your, your relationship. You could be a rich, powerful person, and we know this. I mean, look at a good example I'll use, all right? I know this is like two weeks late, these readings, but let, let me give you an example. We're into the third week, actually. So I just want to try to catch up a little bit. Take of the situation of Will Smith. I've known Will Smith about Will Smith. He was in the movies for years. All right. Bad Boys. Uh, um, he was used to be the fresh kit Prince of Bel-Air. I mean, I remember, all, you know, he was young when I was young. He, you know, he was on TV and he was very popular. And he was rapping and he was the, the hottest thing on the screen. All right. All of a sudden now, look at his life. Look at his marriage. Look at the humiliation he's going through. All right. Look at that. He has no control. There you have it. Someone who represented diversity, equality, the African-American community, right? Even like someone like Michael Jackson. Take a look at an example of him. All that wealth, all that money, and he was trapped in the, in, in, he was a, a, a grown man trapped in the mind of a child. He had the mind of a child. Never, never land. Trying to recapture a childhood that was tragically taken away from him because of some kind of abuse or whatever. Look at Will Smith, right? Successful, has a, uh, you know, 
he's you know he's rich. His wife humiliates him in front of the whole world. His whole personal life is out there. Can't control it all. Can't you can't you know he lost control. He you know he finds the spotlight on him in a most negative and and, and tragic way. I mean embarrassing. And then that incident. In the Oscars when he slaps uh, Chris Rock, right? It's everyone knows about it. But yet, is he turning to God? Is he turning to God for his needs? No. For some reason, the world he's living in, and I think he's a practitioner of Scientology. I mean, to be honest with you, I'd rather, looking at that, I'd rather be poor and have my faith than to be rich and have no faith. That's, God sends these things as an example for all of us. It's sad. Think of, you can still not have control of your life with all that money. Money is good. It's useful. It helps. But what good is not having God, even if you have money? It goes to show you, you can't control the tragedies. But there's some people who will still say, I'll go for it. I'll take my chances. There are people who are going to say that. But I don't think, I really don't think you have, you know, you can say you will be happy. No one is happy. You know, money and wealth, and you're still miserable. You're still, you're still, you're still unhappy because you don't have love. That's what problem. It's amazing how people, in some instances, one way or another, you're going to mature, in a positive or negative way. There's positive maturity and there's negative maturity. I don't, I don't think it's. We can say, you know. Let's look at it this way. You can per, you you can definitely you're definitely going to grow in your viewpoint, your worldview. But you still won't have control of your life and you still won't be happy. And I think many people will realize how you know that what happiness is. You can have all of it and you're still not happy. It's sad. So Jesus is saying here Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which one of you hand his son a stone when he asks for a loaf of bread? Or a snake when he asks for fish? If you then who are who are wicked, sometimes it's translated evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? Do others do to others whatever you have them do to you. This is the law of the prophets. So what he's saying is is basically treat others as you would like to be treated. You want to be treated fairly. You want to be treated with respect. You want to be treated with dignity, meaning you want others to recognize that you're made in the image and likeness of God. And so you have to do the same thing. You have to treat that person as sacred. As wrong as that person is, you still have to treat them in that manner. And this is exactly you know, the whole point. He's saying, this is the law of the prophets. Take the first step. He's saying, take a step to acknowledge that others are that others need God as much as you do. That others are made in the image and likeness of God as much as you do. And that you are, you know, also in need of God's of God's love and mercy. But so acknowledge that others need God's love and mercy. And that's this is this is a reality. It's not, it's not, he's not asking you to think like the world. 
because that's what got you into trouble in the first place. There are some good things. Not everything is bad about the world, but outside of God, there is no other way. It'll get blurry. You won't have God if you keep following the world. Just, I think what he wants is take a step forward that you need God, that you need God in your life. And others need God in their life. That's all. I think this is what Jesus wants. Ask, seek, and knock. Seek, ask, and knock. All these things. He's saying, go to God. Go to him. Go to your father, and he will answer you. It may take a while. It's not going to happen overnight because... He wants you to recognize your need. He wants you to recognize, just like Esther needed God, he wants you to recognize that you need God. All right, we're going to end it here. And uh, let's end it with an Our Father, a Hail Mary, and a Glory Be. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now the hour of our death. Amen. And glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.